Hi, everybody. I'm Pat Williams, and thank you for listening to The Sixth Man Show. This is The Sixth Man Show, an Orlando Magic podcast, with your hosts, Luke Sylvia and Jonathan Osborne, covering all things Magic basketball. By fans, for fans. Go Magic. All right, Orlando Magic fans. Uh, today we have a very, very, very special guest, uh, Pat Williams, co-founder of the Orlando Magic. First of all, thank you so much for joining the show. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Jonathan. Thank you. Nice to hook up with you guys. Absolutely. So being obviously huge Orlando Magic fans, um, first and foremost, just very, very honored to have you on the show. Uh, but a lot of Magic fans know about your history with the Orlando Magic, you know, leaving the Philadelphia 76ers, helping uh, Jimmy Hewitt start and found the Orlando Magic, quite literally. Uh, but we wanted to ask uh, some about your background and a, and a little bit about that. Um, just kind of, you know, early childhood, you know, uh, school, college. Uh, you know, Luke has told me a lot about your um, you know, experience with the Phillies. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of starting there and, and walking us through how you got to the NBA. Well, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, my dad was a high school coach and history teacher. So I grew up in a sports environment. Uh, I saw my first Major League Baseball game when I was seven, and I was immediately hooked on the sights and the sound and the smell and the color of baseball. I knew at a very early age what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I did want to be a ball player. And if that didn't work, I wanted to go into the front office. Well, and if that didn't work, I wanted to be a broadcaster. (laughs) So I knew very early on uh, what it was that uh, I wanted to do with my life. And I've been very fortunate that I've been able to follow that career path. Uh, After high school, I went to Wake Forest, uh, played baseball there for four years. And that led to a seven-year career in the Philadelphia Phillies organization. Two as a minor league catcher and five running uh, minor league ball clubs for them in their farm system. And in the middle of that situation, I switched sports and uh, joined the 76ers uh, 50, well, it's uh, gosh, 52 years ago. And uh, that started a 51 year career in, in pro basketball. Uh, which took me up to about a, a little over a year ago when I retired from the Magic. And and now I've uh, worked my way back into the baseball scene. Uh, we're trying to bring a Major League Baseball team uh, to Central Florida, to Orlando. And so that, uh, that's that got me uh, tied up again, uh, trying to bring another team here to Central Florida. So that in about two minutes, that's a rundown on my life. It, is there a... Um, I, I guess it's so is there a big, you know, obviously it's a huge accomplishment to, um, bring a team, uh, to a state that didn't once, you know, have a team in that city necessarily, such as you were talking about the, the dreamers, um, which how long ago did that start kind of coming into fruition? Well, it's, we've been working on this for, um, almost a year and a half now. Uh, a lot of that time was, um, uh, quietly, you know, behind the scenes. But last November 20th, we had a press conference in which we announced that we were going to go for it. And uh, we, we uh, began to rally the community. We set up a website, orlandodreamers.com. Mm. And we encouraged people to go up there and express their interest. Uh, let us know if they would have interest in a season ticket package perhaps someday. 
And as of this point, we have well over 12,000 people who have gone up to that website. And we want to keep driving people to that website to express interest. Uh, this is not going to happen overnight. Uh, we've got to wait and see what uh, the big leagues are going to do about expansion. Uh, we've got to see what the Rays are going to do. Uh, they have seven years left on their lease, and uh, we got to figure out what's going to happen to them. So <clears throat> we're, we're watching this baseball scene very closely. But in the meantime, uh, we do want people to go up to that website, orlandodreamers.com, uh, just to express your interest in uh, Orlando becoming a Major League Baseball town. Yeah, I would I would imagine that especially with, you know, COVID and the, you know, the current atmosphere that we're living in. Um obviously it was a, a different time, you know, back in the 80s when uh you were trying to get the Orlando Magic off of the ground, but I would definitely imagine that there are some um unique challenges at this time as you try to kind of go through that same process bringing another major sports team to this city of, of Orlando that you might not have experienced the first time around with the Magic. Uh, Jonathan, I need you to kind of rephrase that question again for me. Yeah, no, I was just saying, are there different challenges this time with, you know, that you've been faced with trying to bring the Dreamers to the, to the, to Orlando, uh, different from when you brought the Magic to Orlando? Well, I think the big difference is Orlando is such a, a major city now. Uh, 34 years ago when we started this up with the Magic, uh, Orlando really was a small southern city, uh, come to think of it. We uh, we had Disney. We didn't have Universal. Uh, SeaWorld was here, uh, but we didn't have the big convention center. The airport wasn't much. There was no skyline downtown, and uh, but yet uh, we, we plunged in and got it done. Now, 34 years later, uh, we're a big city. We're now the 18th largest media market in the country. We're the largest media market in the country. So we, we lost Pat there for, for just a, a moment there. We were talking about uh, you know some of the, the challenges, and it sounds like Orlando being much more developed now than it was 34 years ago. Probably just finding you know the, the right space for a ballpark would you know definitely seem like it would be a challenge in itself. Uh, Pat, we did want to ask, um, don't know how much attention you've been paying to the bubble. You know, the NBA has restarted there in Orlando. And it's just kind of a funny coincidence that 34 years ago, you know, you helped bring the NBA to Orlando. Uh, and now, quite literally, the, the city of Orlando has almost saved the season uh, for the NBA uh, by having, you know, these facilities here uh, in Orlando. So have you been paying any attention to that? And, and what have you thought of the bubble so far? I've been paying close attention to it, and I think it's a beautiful story. Uh, the NBA's uh, resurgence here has gone extremely well, mm-hmm. uh, better really than any other of the sports. And that's because they're, they're there, they're uh, in isolation, basically. And uh, they're, they're staying very tight on the regulations, and there have been no problems. It, it's a marvelous story, and now... Uh, the playoffs started this afternoon. Terrific game between Utah and Denver. And they're going to go on all night and almost every day now. We're going to get NBA playoff basketball, you know, all the way through, I guess, on into October potentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's terrific. So I'm very proud uh, that Orlando has had this opportunity. Our, our name goes out before the world every day. 
Dateline Orlando or Dateline Buena Vista. Uh, Disney is mentioned and the city of Orlando is constantly being mentioned around the world. And I think it's terrific. And Pat, do you, so right now you, you talked about it. They're going to be playing into the night with these playoffs. Um, it, it sort of has a March madness feel because we're getting games through the day. Um, I know some people, um, are, are watching these games and, and I know the, the consensus right now is it didn't feel like a playoff game because there's no fans. The atmosphere really dictates what the game feels like. Um, and obviously another part being that, uh, you know, these games are being played in the day, whereas, you know, big games like Utah and Denver would typically get prime time at night, um, especially in the playoffs. Um, do you have a preference, Pat, of when you would rather watch your basketball games? Do you like getting them in the middle of the day or what do you prefer? Well, why not? You know, it's a, it's, it's a feast. If you're a basketball junkie, uh, you're going to be well fed uh, every day, day after day, week after week. Uh, let's face it. These are emergency conditions. Uh, by now, uh, the NBA season uh, and the playoffs would have ended back in June. Uh, we'd already have a draft. Uh, the, uh, the summer league would be over under normal conditions. So this is all emergency stuff. Uh, but I think, uh, I think as a fan, you make the most of it. Uh, no, it's not perfect, but it, it, it's still, it's almost like, um, well, take the um, 100 or 125 greatest players in the world who play basketball and, and, and put them together under controlled conditions and then just let them play. Just turn mm-hmm. them loose. Uh, I think that's really what we got here, and it's uh, it's really been fun for me to watch it so yeah, far. The level of the and, I, and, I, and these playoffs are off to a roaring start. Donovan Mitchell today was just spectacular. And, yeah, 57 uh, points. Yeah, he, he just was magnificent. And uh, there'll be games tonight, and then we pick it up tomorrow. The Magic break in tomorrow night. And uh, so I'm I'm having a good time with this. This has been great. It's definitely been a lot of fun. Myself personally, you know, I, the the expectations that I had as far as the the level of basketball that we've seen, I thought it would be up there, but I ha- I have to say this has far exceeded any expectations that I've had. It's been definitely a lot of fun to watch. Well, that's for sure. I'm glad that you've enjoyed that. We got off to a good start today and uh as I said, if you if you love basketball, you're going to get uh filled up to your eyeballs uh, over the next few weeks over the next month or so you're just going to have a feast so uh i would say just relax under emergency conditions we're in a crisis in the world and uh i'm glad that the nba is able to uh, present the game in this manner for us all to enjoy and uh let's keep everything in mind about what we're dealing with here we're dealing with a crisis uh, that most people in the world have never experienced anything like this. And we just have to make the best of it. Yeah. And Pat, we kind of wanted to, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the, the NBA draft lotteries that you've been representative of the magic in, um, you know, obviously the two big ones in the nineties. And then again, uh, in, in 2004, where the odds definitely felt stacked against you, especially, um, in the, in the one where we got penny, but I wanted to talk, I, I think Jonathan also wanted to talk about the 92, 93, uh, draft lottery, but, um, I, I stumbled across an article talking about the greatest moments in draft lottery history. Um, and this one that I stumbled across was an 04 
when the Magic won, uh, they said it was you know a, a great scene because you gave a, a fist pump and and you let out a noise uh, of, of cheer when you know you guys found out that you, that you had the number one pick, um, which would be the eventual Dwight Howard. Um, you know, some people would say, uh, you know, he you didn't take the um, act like you've been there approach, but man, such a big moment. Um, and, and it's such a great thing to, to see something like that happen. And, and someone who's already gotten the number one pick two times already and been there for it. Um, what were your emotions that night on 2004 when you guys won that well, top pot they, spot? They, uh, they, they certainly were turned loose. <laughs> you see the future of any franchise hinges on your draft. And, and that hinges these days on this lottery, <clears throat> which is a, a difficult thing to uh, work through and understand fully. But you know when you've won one. And you also know uh, when there's an outstanding player available. Some years, uh, there's no automatic pick. There's no franchise turner. But in our case, uh, we were we were very fortunate. In 92, there was a once-a-decade player in Shaq. And then in 93, we won it again, and that produced the trade on draft night that brought Penny Hardaway here. And then when we were in, in desperate need of another win, we got it in 04. And that's the year that Dwight Howard, a high school kid from Atlanta, was in the draft. And uh, nobody really knew of him. They didn't quite have a picture of him. Uh, we did, and we we were convinced that he had a chance to be a great star, <clears throat> and he was. And uh, we got to the finals with him, just like we did with Shaq. And so uh, we've been very blessed with those lottery wins. There's a verse in the book of Proverbs that says in the modern translation, man rolls the dice, God determines the outcome. And uh, the Lord was looking out for us on those draft nights. And uh, that, that helped put our franchise, you know, on the road to some real heights, some great heights. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Pat, I'm so happy that you brought up uh, the fact that in 1993 uh, that we made that trade, you know, for Penny Hardaway, you know, trading Chris Webber for, you know, Penny Hardaway and multiple draft picks. And also uh, I read that when you were the general manager uh, of the Atlanta Hawks that you traded Pete Maravich uh, for multiple draft picks and, and a few players. So it really seems like you were, um, you know, one of the pioneers that really saw the value in future draft picks. Um, it, it, am I correct by making that assumption? Uh, always. Uh, I think uh, there, there are only a few ways that you can build a franchise in the NBA. Uh, you can do it through trades. You can also do it through free agency now. But I think the prime way is through the draft. And uh, the, the best drafts are if you have the most picks. Uh, high right. picks are great, but it also helps to have an abundance of picks because you can use them in different ways. You can draft players with them or you can package them up and deal them uh but if you've got those picks you've got something of great value so i've always believed it was important to collect them gather them hold on to them utilize them and in the case of of that hardaway deal in 93 uh we did like chris weber but we also felt that that uh, petty hardaway and Shaq would be a better combination and uh, the warriors kicked in three future firsts in addition to doing the flip-flop. So that set us up, you know, in a very strong fashion. I don't know 
exactly what became of all the picks. I knew, I know one of them became Mike Miller, uh, who we took, who is, ended up being the rookie of the year and had a long career. But uh, that was a deal that worked for us. And Shaq and Penny for those few years were, uh, were a mighty combination. They were, uh, they were absolutely terrific. Definitely. I have one more question about the draft. So obviously in 1992, you win the, the, the draft lottery. Obviously you knew that you were going to take Shaq. You could see the excitement on your, on your face. The team goes 41 and 41 that year. Uh, I think finished 16th uh, overall in the league in the standing. So quite a few teams that had better odds to win the draft lottery. And then in 1993, when it's revealed that the magic of once again uh, s- secured the number one pick, the, the look of just, you just could not believe that you had won the draft lottery again. I've always wanted to ask you, just run me through your, your thoughts and emotions in that moment. Well, first of all, back in those days, you could understand uh, how the lottery was put together. Today, it would take a Rhodes Scholar to figure it out. I still don't know how it all works. But I do know uh, that back in, in 93, it was still normal. There were 66 ping pong balls in that machine. And uh, we, we finished 11th out of those lottery teams. We missed the playoffs, I think, on the fifth tiebreaker. That's how close we were to get into the playoffs, and we missed it with a, with a tiebreaker. So we went into the lottery uh, very disappointed, and we had one ping pong ball in that machine, one with the Magic logo on it out of 66. There were 65 balls in there plus our little ball. Now, what people didn't understand was that the the power of that little ping pong ball, we had him trained and we had him super juiced and we, we gave him specific instructions on what he was meant to do to fight his way up through all those other ping pong balls and come out the chute. And that little ping pong ball is now in the magic hall of fame. Uh, He, he came through big time and that is how, uh, we ended up making that trade. We got that pick miraculously. Nobody believed it. I think the whole room was shocked. Uh, David Stern, the commissioner, was shocked. That was not uh, how this lottery was meant to work, that the, the best team in the lottery ends up with the first pick. Uh, we, we, the plan was we would get the 11th pick. But, but a strange thing happened that day. And uh, it, it's still hard to believe. And right after that, that 93 draft, that was the end of the, of the draft lottery as we know it. Uh, it's now structured that there can never again be a long shot like ours was. Uh, you know, it's never going to happen again that, that a team with those distant odds comes through. Uh, that's all. Well, just call it the Orlando rules. Uh, that 93 draft lottery took care of that. Well, we're and glad it happened. Yeah, we, we absolutely are. That's that's really cool to get your insight on that, Pat. And, um, I you know, people who know you uh, or know about you um, know that you're an author. Um, I kind of wanted to talk as someone who's uh, consumed a couple of your books um, in the past and mainly because of um, you speaking to the intern class um, that I was a part of in Orlando um, you know, you, you talked about that all readers aren't leaders, but but leaders um, are all readers. Um, and so that was something that, that I took to heart. And I said, well, I don't read and I want to be a leader. So I'm going to start reading. I'm going to do what, what Mr. Williams says. 
And um, and and so I, I I took that very seriously and and read the Success Intersection and and, and some books that you've done. Um, but when did you get your start as an author? And and when did you realize you know I might be pretty good at this writing thing and telling stories? Well, I did a book. It first came out in September of 1974. Uh, it was my life story up up at that up to that point. It was called The Gingerbread Man, and it came out um, just as I had returned to Philadelphia. Now, that was the first book. And as far as I was concerned, that was it. You know, it was interesting to put it together. And I I was quite excited when it came out. But that was enough. Uh, but then a few years later, there was another opportunity to do a book. And then another one here and there. And then when I moved to Orlando in 1986, uh, in addition to all the basketball stuff going on, uh, Orlando was really beginning to grow dramatically as a convention city. So city where uh, groups were coming and they needed speakers. And I got that opportunity and that led to books. Uh, Publishers began to propose ideas and little by little, I started following up on them and did them. And I don't know exactly how it took off, but the Lord blessed that, that ministry of writing and ideas kept coming. Uh, People ask me all the time, where do these ideas come from? Well, I think the Holy Spirit working within prompts up an idea, brings it up, and and then I usually take it to a publisher uh, to see if they are interested. And up to this point, enough of them have been. And uh, little by little, uh, I've I've kept plowing away at it. Uh, The next book will be out on Feb 1. That'll be book number 114. It's called Revolutionary Leadership. It's finished. It's into the publisher. And uh, that's the next book in the pipeline here. And uh, one more question in regards to your uh, books. Um, you have a book um, called How to Be Like Walt. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, what is your the relationship that you had with the Disney family and, and, and kind of what did that look like? And then that led you to write a book like that. Well, the book came out uh, years back called... Uh, how to be like Walt. I, I, when I moved here to Orlando, like so many people, I became fascinated with Disney. I became particularly fascinated with Walt Disney himself. Uh, I kept running into senior Disney executives here who had worked with him back in California. And I was always picking their brains about Walt. And I began to gather this information. And then I thought, you know, this could really be a book if I could plow in and find all of these these Disney people who had worked with Walt, they were, they would be, they were quite elderly, but I got to all of them way back, back in, in time, back in the nineties, I got to all of them. They're not, none of them are still living. Uh, I think they're all gone just about, but I got to all of them and I got their stories, got their anecdotes, got their memories about Walt. It was a fascinating project. And, and Walt Disney's daughter, Diane was so helpful to me. And so gracious and so kind. She put me in touch, for example, with all of Walt's grandchildren, all of her children. Uh, they all uh, knew Walt as grandpa and, and Lillian as grandma. You know, that's how they talked about him. And to, to talk to them uh, and getting their memories of Walt Disney, well, how do you put a price tag on that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Diane Disney Miller was just extraordinarily kind to me and helpful. That book is still in print. I still hear it from people. And then just this past year, we wrote another book called Lead Like Walt. And we looked at Walt Disney through the narrow lens of leadership. 
Mm-hmm. And what was it about Walt Disney that made him such a successful leader? So that was the second book that came out. It's uh, just come out fairly recently. And uh, if you want to learn about uh, Walt Disney as a leader, that book would be helpful to you. Well, I definitely want to be a leader. So it sounds like uh, I have some reading to do. I need to. I definitely need to brush up on on some of my reading and definitely some of the books that that you've authored, uh, Pat. Um, last question that that we wanted to ask. Um, I mentioned before we started recording the podcast, uh, Pat, that a few years back um, I was heading down the escalator coming down from the Eastern uh, Concourse into the the main lobby of the Amway Center, and you were at the bottom of the escalator and you were just uh, thanking Orlando Magic fans for for coming to the game, and you and I got to speak for a moment and we we took a picture together that I still have. Um, all these years later, what what drives you and to to still do that to still basically sit at the exits of the Amway Center and, and thank the fans for coming out to the games. Because I've got to tell you, as a lifelong Magic fan, that meant the world to me. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I've always felt uh, that uh, people who come to our games are our guests. Uh, we are the hosts. And uh, if I can uh, greet people and thank them for coming um, and, and encourage them to come back, uh, that that means something. Um, you know, we want that kind of relationship with our fans and the community. Uh, we want them to feel that they're part of it. We want them to feel that uh, we appreciate when they come to the games. And so if anything I could have done over the many, many years in uh, meeting people and shaking their hands and having a word with them, you know, I've been doing that. Well, every every game that I've been involved with for, well, I don't know, it's not 60 years, but it's it's – 57 years or so between my time in baseball and basketball. And I have always felt that that was important to let the fans know that we appreciate when they come out to a game. Well, I can't tell you enough again, how much I appreciated that. Um, Hearing that from you also means a lot. Um, And just kind of on behalf of all Orlando magic fans, just thank you for uh, working with, you know, Jimmy Hewitt back in the day, because without you and without, you know, Mr. Hewitt, we literally would not be here right now talking about the Orlando Magic, a team that we all care so much about. So thank you so much for everything that you've done for the franchise. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, So nice to visit with both of you, and thanks for the invite. Absolutely. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, Again, just thank you so much for coming on to the show. And with that, folks, that is going to conclude our interview uh, with Mr. Pat Williams. Once again, Pat, thank you so much. It's it's truly been uh, a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Welcome back anytime. Uh, But for Mr. Pat Williams, for Luke, this has been Jonathan. You guys have listened to The Six Man Show, and we will catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Six Man Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher to get new episodes downloaded directly to your phone. Please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. It would really help us out a lot. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Six Man Show and like us on Facebook. We'll catch you guys next time. Go Magic!